1: And uh, thank you, Margaret, for leading us in praying. Thank you, uh, Andrew, and Liz, and everyone else who's working hard on our behalf this morning. Um, Andrew, you spoke warmly wherever you've gone um, about the subject matter, so I have a confession. How it came about was that I received an email from one of the leaders at Framlingham Community Baptist Church in early January. Asking if I would speak from Jonah chapter 2 verses 5 to 7. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Now, I must be honest. At first I thought, what an obscure scripture. You know, it's great to be invited to go and speak, but it's particularly nice when they give you an open you know, hand to, to do whatever you want. So when when it's, fine, Jonah, fine, chapter two, fine, look at those scriptures and I think, my goodness me, what is this all about? So I spoke to them again, and uh, a bit nervously probably, and uh, it was a lady called Elsker, I think one or two people would know her here, And she patiently explained to me why she had selected that scripture. So I read it again and thought, what a great scripture. You see, today we're going to be talking actually not about mental health, but about mental ill health and what the Bible has to say about it. Um, With mental ill health, generally on the increase in society and with those living with it often cruelly stigmatized. Um, I was asked by Framingham Church if I would speak about what the Bible says about mental health, depression, anxiety, etc. I think that was the quote. So when I expressed my concerns to Oscar, please, I'm underqualified. Um, my experience of mental ill health, though not zero, um, is quite limited. And I'm very, very aware, both then and this morning, of the possibility of being naive, um, of being patronising or clumsy, uh, of using sweeping generalisations in presenting this talk. And I'm obviously very anxious that none of these things happen. Um, It is true that there are some encouragements and directives in what I plan to say, but more than answers... Um, I seek to bring hope. And so the title of the talk today is very deliberate. It's what the Bible says about mental ill health. Now, within my own family, I meant to get a prop out What would you take to a desert island if you had to take two or three things? Yeah, a big speedboat, I know but um, strangely, and you may think quite bizarrely, I would take these really ancient uh, mementos because they reflect a wonderful, wonderful testimony um, of how God can rescue people with significant mental ill health need. And In this book, really ancient, New Life, New Lifestyle, Michael Green, one of many, many books that he's written, um, I find my father's testimony, um, which I haven't got time to read you this morning, but uh, that and this reflect um, that, that this is this is actually what God used in the middle of the night, one hot July night, to actually cause him to repent and come to Christ. But for another day, I'll tell the story. But enough to say that at the time, he was in a um, mental institution in Belmont in Surrey from Monday to Friday every week. And I only, as an eight-year-old, only saw him at weekends, uh, uh, which was pretty traumatic. I desperately wanted him to come home, but then by the end of the weekend, everything was so chaotic. You know, I thought, perhaps it's time for him to go back. Now, that's the context in which my father came to Christ, gave his life to Jesus. And I... And quite convinced that not only did he receive salvation that night, um, but deliverance, and that God absolutely rescued him. So I have got some glorious testimony. Um, I was asking, I think, um, Barbara, you remember him, and uh, maybe maybe one or two others do, but it's more than 30 years since he died, but even even after 30 years after his death, I have had people come to me and hear my surname, you say, you're not related to Peter Cutting, are you? Oh, and tears in their eyes, and how he either led them to Christ or really, really helped them as a, you know, when they were young, etc. And there's people all over Suffolk um, who have that as part of their testimony. I'm so proud of him. But I'm so proud of Jesus um, to be able to rescue him, not only from mental ill health, I'm telling more of the story than I planned to, um, but from affairs and a terrible stammer. He was a 50s junkie on pet pills, etc. And that one time of kneeling down and repenting and asking Jesus to come into his life. Um, so I have a... a it was, was utterly transforming. So I have a very dysfunctional... M- memories of a very dysfunctional naught to eight years old and radically Christian eight to 2, whatever years old as a child. So, um, but let's get back to our subject. Um, just a bit of a definition, a mental disorder, also called mental illness or psychiatric disorder, is a diagnosis by a mental health professional of a behavioural or mental pattern that may cause suffering or a poor ability to function in life. Such features may be persistent, relapsing or remitting, or occur as a single episode. And signs and symptoms vary widely between specific disorders. The causes of mental disorder are often unclear. Mental disorders are usually defined by a combination of how a person behaves, how they feel, how they perceive and think. This may be associated with particular regions or functions of the brain, often in a social context. Common mental disorders include depression, which affect 400 million Dementia, which affect about 35 million, and schizophrenia, which affect about 21 million people uh, globally. So stigma and discrimination can add to the suffering and disability associated with mental disorders, leading to various social movements attempting to increase understanding and challenge social exclusion. So we know what we're talking about. I, I don't think I would have put things in those words particularly, but, you know, that's the... And you can see it's such a huge, huge subject that how can we possibly do it justice in one talk? So, what does the Bible have to say about it? Expressions um, used for mental ill health conditions have obviously changed so much over the years. Uh, There's no specific mention of many of the words we tend to use in 2017, for example, mental health or depression... Or talk of emotional psychological states, or talk of dementia, schizophrenia, etc. but there are many scriptures uh, where the writer speaks from deep anguish of the soul, and where things or what society deems to be rational things just don't make sense um, to, 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 to certain people in their minds. Now that is sometimes from my reading of the scriptures as a result of sin. Sometimes it's as a result of being obedient to God. Sometimes it's a result of demonic activity. And sometimes just because. Because things don't always work properly or they work differently. Or as Jesus once said, that the works of God might be seen in them. Or as he said another time, the poor you will always have with you. Now, when I use the expression poor there, I'm going to change. I'm going to do a bit of paraphrasing this morning. Can you cope with that? And I'm going to say, Jesus said the vulnerable, you will always have with you. And there are other words that we'll use this morning where I'm going to use the word the concept and the word vulnerability um, because it takes some of the us and them out of what we're saying in the context of this talk. So the, Jesus said the vulnerable you will always have with you. So I would suggest that actually we are all somewhere on a mental health spectrum, and in a very real sense, as it says in Romans 8, we all groan inwardly as we await the eternal future with Christ. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together at the pains of childbirth until now, and not only... All creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We also groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And it's, and Paul again in 2 Corinthians 12, when when the Holy Spirit said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in vulnerability. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness or my vulnerability. So that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, if you think of some of the heroes of the Old Testament, we actually find that they really, really struggled at times with their mental health. If you look at the lives of David, or of Job, or of Jonah, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or Daniel, or Jesus, or Paul, they all talked of deep anguish in their souls at some point or other. And King Nebuchadnezzar once said this, as I lay in my bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Job said, if only my anguish could be weighed and all all my misery be placed on the scales. Of Job, it was said, distress and anguish fill him with terror. Troubles overwhelm him like a king poised to attack. In Psalms, we read, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? And again, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Psalm 38, I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. And Psalm 55, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. You go on to Jeremiah, and he says, Oh, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the agony of my heart. My heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silent. And into New Testament and 2 Corinthians, Paul says, For I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. So maybe the Bible says quite a lot about mental ill health. Next, I want us to look, what does the Bible say to those of us who have, um, actually have mental ill health concerns? Well, the Bible says a lot about itself. And that is my um, first point on here. Are they, can you see them all right? There? Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus spoke to the devil, he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It says in Hebrews 4, The word of God is alive and active. It is living. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And in 2 Timothy... We read that the Holy Scriptures make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, from the Anglican Book of Prayer, on the second Sunday in Advent, the liturgy includes a prayer called the Collect for the Day. And you might be familiar with it. It says, Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. In other words, the Word of God is... So powerful. And I want to encourage you to confess the word of God, to read it out loud, to meditate on it, and to ask the Lord Jesus to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you no longer have merely a cerebral or academic or rational view of the scriptures. I'm not saying that context, understanding, and theological debate is unimportant But if all you know how to use the scriptures for is to argue theology with the next Jehovah's Witness that knocks on your door, then you're seriously missing out. I am encouraging you to allow the Holy Spirit to use the word of God to bring you into a deeper personal relationship with the Father and to a place of shalom. And one of the ways that Jesus serves his church is to cleanse us with the washing of scripture. Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Not just a book. This is a means by which the Holy Spirit of God can make live your relationship with Jesus. So what scriptures do I mean? Well, um, somewhere... I've printed off, or Katie and Mark thankfully this week printed off, and near that um, wonderful plant near the door there is a few copies of this, a number of scriptures that are well used at times of trauma, of times um, when we really, really need to have the, have a meal of the word of God. But you tell me, what scriptures do you use? What what scriptures do you meditate and confess at times of crisis? Psalm 23. <laughs> I, I expected that. The first one on my list too. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Any others? Wonderful. I know the plans I have for you. 28, 29, is it? Yeah, twenty-nine, eleven. Psalm 139. Lord, you've searched me and known me. Isaiah 43, fear not, says the Lord, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. Matthew 8, uh, 11, 28, come to me all who labor heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The scripture's are absolutely full of them. Um, so don't ignore them at times like that. Sorry, one more? Psalm 40, Psalm 40 you're going to remind me. <laughs> how wonderful so, um, how wonderful we've all got them this is great well add them to my collection there please so do you hear what we're saying the living weight of the word of God it is a substance for us at moments like that so please do not um, you know think minimally or cerebrally about the word of God and Holy Spirit really comes and uses it. Second of these headings, bring praise and worship to God. Psalm 22, verse 3, it's sometimes, I think, misquoted a bit, but it suggests that God inhabits the praise of Israel, or inhabits the praise of his people. Again, just as the word of God is living and active, literally engages us with God himself, so does our praise. It is not purely a thing that we ought to do, It's not purely the songs we sing on the Sunday morning. It actually enables fellowship and intimacy with the Father and makes us more aware of him than of ourselves. Come on, Alan. You're talking about my state of mental ill health. I can hardly string a couple of words together. I think many of us have known that. Times like that. Just say the name of Jesus. And you get two syllables out in a gasp within the anguish. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. The righteous can limp into it and they get saved. Just say the name of Jesus. Thirdly, I suggest that we seek godly counsel and or specialist ministry. James 5, is anyone among you suffering, anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. In the name of the Lord, the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. The Lord will raise him up if he has committed sins he will be forgiven. Now, this is, now. if you, you think the context in which this was written, the elders of the church are often elders in a citywide church. I don't know how many church fellowships there are in Ipswich. And they've probably all got a little gaggle of elders. And I'm not speaking, I'm not um, reducing the impact or the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the elders of any particular church. Um, but I am saying it's just in this context and what I'm saying... Um, not only local church elders, but also specialist ministries. Those who have the experience and the gifting and anointing that God has given them and the patience to offer prayer and ministry. You might remember um, Michael fairly recently, it was in February, I think, speaking powerfully of his time in Harn Hill. Um, things are not utterly and totally resolved, um, but it was a very strong testimony of the impact that, from, from, that can be had through specialist uh, ministry. Just one caveat on that. Um, please don't seek specialist people out as an alternative to the other things that I'm saying. And then finally on this little section, simply this, surround yourself with godly friends. I've always been impressed by another fairly obscure scripture, uh, um, Proverbs 18 and verse 1. And I think it's in the revised standard version. It says, he who is estranged seeks pretexts to break out against all sound judgment. In other words, if I isolate myself, then within myself, I will, I will get to a point, I will convince myself of some pretty irrational thoughts. We are not designed to be isolated. I'll say it again. He who is estranged seeks pretexts to break out against all sound judgment. So simply I'm saying let's surround ourselves with godly friends. So what does the Bible have to say to those who seek to support those with mental ill health? Well, it says to be patient, to be kind, to be truthful, to oppose and dismantle stigma, to have faith and pray, including deliverance. I would simply say, please don't be a cheerleader. Don't be victorious and triumphalist and right all the time. And please don't assume that reason or logic will change very much, um, at least quickly. You see, when I'm convinced I'm a pair of curtains, the last thing I need is for someone to tell me to pull myself together. Grown here... So pray for one another. Bring people to Jesus, just like they did Matthew 4. So Jesus' fame spread. They brought him all the sick, all those affected, afflicted sorry, with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, and he healed them. Let's pray for one another. Let's bring people to Jesus. Three John. One says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Secondly, Understand, please, that this is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Matthew 17, man came to Jesus, said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's an epileptic and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And Jesus answered, bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. And really, I think, to wrap this bit up, have a humble and inclusive attitude. Is any of this rocket science? It's pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? I'm not saying the issues are simple and straightforward. I really, really appreciate that they're hugely complex. So here... Uh, as with all of this talk, I really just want to, to give pointers. I want to lay foundations. As I said earlier, I want to give hope. Acts 20. In all things I have shown you, said Paul, that by working hard in this way, we must help the vulnerable. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Romans Twelve, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the vulnerable. Never be wise in your own sight. Matthew 25, when did we see you sick or in prison visit you? King will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the most vulnerable of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And as we read before, John chapter 12, Jesus said the vulnerable you will always have with you. Now, I suggest to you that actually our society is so ruthless, so task-focused, so cynical, irritable, impatient. It puts me under increasing pressure to perform, to perform well, to perform now. And where I cannot manage to do that, I'm deemed to be non-productive or a burden. And yet our society, I suggest, desperately needs those who are vulnerable. Those who not only need discipleship, but genuinely need care and support. The frail elderly, the orphan, the widow, the refugee, those with a significant learning disability, those with mental ill health. The church is a hospital, a school and an army in equal measure. I'd love to unpack that one a bit more some other time. It is a hospital, a school and an army in equal measure. Let it train brilliantly and let it fight hard, but let it offer healing as well. I desire mercy, says the Lord. You see, I need those who are perceived to be vulnerable as much as they need me. If I don't have those who are vulnerable within my close sphere of friends and neighbours, I become selfish, cliquey, thin of spirit. I settle for being purely functional, an exclusive gated community, an Aryan race, a competitive machine that abandons relationship for the sake of striving for results and success. And, in the most dreadful of expressions, Continual improvement. God help us. No wonder stress-related sick leave is on the increase. So if you count yourselves among the poor this morning, if you count yourselves to be among the vulnerable this morning, poor in spirit, poor in mind, poor in body, I salute you. I honor you and I give you great respect By allowing yourself to be vulnerable and to receiving support, you not only exhibit great grace, for most of us find it really, really hard to receive, but you also serve me and rescue me from my self-centered functionality. You offer our society the opportunity to show mercy and to give ourselves away for one another, and thus you vastly improve it. Now, I'd like us to spend the final five minutes, if we can, um, by showing uh, the video um, of, I think it's called The Father's Father's Heart. I can't remember. It's just a series of scriptures. Father's love letter. Thank you. And so can we close this section and give it back to Andrew after this, but um, just enjoy this meal from the scriptures.
0: The words you are about to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them. For they come from the very heart of God. He loves you. And He is the Father you have been looking for all your life. This is His love letter to you. All your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul And I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father, and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child?